You know, you're talking literally inches of just getting it, getting it wrong. If I ducked my head a bit more, I might have engaged. Um, it's as simple as that. And uh, bang, it was penalty straight away. And it was just, it was a minute and a bit to go on the clock or something. And I was like, I've just cost England a World Cup. I was just, that's the initial thought was I've just cost England a World Cup. So I was probably in a quite a dark place for a minute or two then. And I remember it was a tough one to sort of swallow that one because you were thinking, what, well, a minute and a bit to go. World Cup's in the bag. You have to do another 20 minutes. You're listening to England Rugby Untold. Hi, I'm Trevor Woodman, former England Gloucester prop. And in 2003, I won the Rugby World Cup. I'd probably say describing myself as a player would be dynamic prop forward. Um, obviously, I was probably out of the old school mold of just a scrummager. So, you know, I love to get my hands on the ball. If I didn't touch the ball during a game, I'd really probably come off disappointed because I used to love to carry. And that's what I felt my point of difference would have been as a player. And then you always have to make sure that you could blend that with all your set piece work. So that was my game. Thompson eager to get England moving again. He finds Delalio, Johnson, Woodman, sidestep from him. His first start for England, and he's looking good now. I was probably very disappointed to miss out in 99. I missed out on the final 30. So then it was all about plan for the next four years. And obviously rugby, you know, it's very difficult to plan long term. But I was hell-bent on getting in the squad for 2003. And nothing was plain sailing with me. It was like... You know, I had neck injuries. At some point along the way, I didn't even think I was going to make it. I literally thought my career was probably done in 2002 because we played the All Blacks um, at Twickenham. We beat the All Blacks. And that was my first start. I was quite low in terms of number of caps and experience. And suddenly after that New Zealand game, on the Monday, I pop a disc in my neck and I can't move my hand like that. So I'm suddenly thinking, well, everything's done and dusted here. Like, just to get back playing was probably... You know, my number one goal, let alone 2003 World Cup squad. Team Cup is the word. Everybody knows out here at the Subiaco Oval that that coolness under pressure and control under pressure is what it's all going to be about today. An enormous game for both sides. And the atmosphere here, I can feel the tension in the studio, but I can promise you guys it is absolutely sizzling here. As Gabby was saying earlier, the night's got quite cold on us, but the temperature out there is red hot. We've got uh, Prince Harry has sneaked in. He's got a, a great seat. And uh, just as he said he would do, he's here to see the rugby. He's not going in a corporate box. He's out there somewhere in the crowd. Steve Smith, they don't get bigger than this, do they? It's massive, John. It's the biggest game of the World Cup so far. It's got all the ingredients, two good matches. The last game, England-South Africa. Very violent game, of course, four years ago. South Africa knocked out of the World Cup. Well, Clive Woodward was worried about the narrowness of that tunnel. Everybody seems under control. England uh, just widening the gap a little as they come out of the tunnel. So you always pushing and trying to push yourself forward in terms of standards and the competitiveness in that squad was unbelievable. There was Jason Leonard, there was Graham Raintree, there was, there was David Flatman, myself. So you look at that and go, well, Leonard, Raintree, both been Lions. You know, Leonard was 100 cap plus. I think Wig was, you know, 50, 
50, 60 caps, something like that. So there was a lot of experience in there. And then obviously there was Flats, who was younger. So you suddenly, you know, there was a lot of competition around that loose head spot. The relationships, relationships in camp was, was always very good. I always used to love our front row nights out. Phil Keith Roach, the scrum coach, was just, he really brought us together as a tight unit. And um, everywhere we used to go on tour, Phil always used to love to take us out. And I just remember the rest of the team would always love to be on that front row night out. I do remember Clive saying in front of the group, look, I know the front row are going out tonight. Please don't do anything stupid. And Phil stands up at the back. What do you classify as stupid? <laughs> I used to hang around with um, with Robbo quite a bit, Jason and uh, myself, Fix and Jace would, we always used to love a game of cribbage. Um, you know, cribbage back then was was the sort of game to play. Um, Jace was, you know, I remember um, Cottesloe Beach, I think it is, this, sort of like the Indian Tea House or something like that, I think it sits on um, Indian Ocean. So we used to go down there right at the start when we were, we were in Perth and, and um, yeah, I always found him quite a common calm and sort of influence to be around, which is probably a good thing. Or, you know, you don't want to be sort of bored in those environments. So um, he was he was always good. Tins was always someone good to, he was very relaxed to be around because it can be quite an intense environment. So I think you try and find people that you know you can switch off, relax, and you just sort of try and put yourself in that place that you know it's going to be a tough, this is going to be one of probably the, not necessarily physically challenging games, but, um, mentally challenging games because of what's at stake. I suppose on the Thursday before the World Cup final, I went snuck out of the hotel just to, to sort of um, get away from sort of the claustrophobic feel of it and had some friends that um, had a lovely penthouse apartment overlooking Manly Wharf. And they said, look, if there's any food you want or anything, what would you like? And I was just like, do you know what? I'd love to just come around and have like just traditional roast lamb or something like that on the, on the Thursday night. Just something different from the same old stuff that you got in the hotel. I'm not saying that it was bad, but you just knew Tuesday it was this, Wednesday that, Thursday that. And I said, it'd be just nice to just be able to sit there and actually enjoy the meal without having to go back to me, to me room. So I did sneak out on the on the Thursday, not that we weren't allowed out, it was just, you know, I'll just get out, just get, you know, collect my thoughts, you know, lovely place to sit and watch people go by and um, and try and relax and switch off for that small amount of time because you don't want to switch off totally. You always got the game in the back of your head, you're going into a World Cup final, which never been in before and or experienced before. So it was just nice to get away and just, and relax away from the hotel, away from all the supporters, because you've got to remember then, the place was getting pretty busy before the, before the final. I do remember leaving four World Cup tickets on the reception um, area for, for four friends that I did have over, and they, got, they went missing. So I ran back down to reception, tickets gone. So I said to Louise Ramsey, the team manager, I was like, do you know what tickets I was given? And she's like, every other game, international game, she said, I've always written down what seat number each player has. And she said, I just never thought anyone would be stupid enough to lose a World Cup final ticket. There is one. So she managed to get me four more tickets. 
but that was literally the day of, day before the game. So yeah, that was one thing. I, I left for World Cup final tickets on the, in the reception area in the Manly Pacific, which someone probably took away. Hi, I'm Jason Leonard, Loosehead Prop. I saw Trevor Woodman and Phil Vickery having a great game, really against their opposite numbers. We were completely dominating the scrums, but we seemed to be being penalised for it. And we just couldn't get enough, the word would be daylight between us and them really, to win the game in 80 minutes. So the last minute of the 80 minutes, we give away a penalty again in a scrum. Australia step up, kick the penalty, it goes into extra time. So from, from my point of view, watching the 80 minutes, I think we should have won the game in the 80 minutes. And then I had the opportunity to come on in extra time. So my overriding thoughts at the time was to reduce our penalty count in the scrums. So I actually sought out Martin Johnson and just said, John, look, we're, the, the, the next few scrums, we're not going to push. We're not even going to contest them. We'll just let them win their ball and, and we'll win ours in that aspect. And I think it quite surprised them, quite, quite a few scrums actually. So... We were fine on our ball. That was never going to be an issue. And I remember saying to the referee at one point, Andre Watson, I said, look, excuse me, sir, look, I'm on the field now. You know me. He's refereed England a number of games. And I just said, look, you won't get any penalties out of me. It's all, we'll, we'll, we'll literally be uncontested in the scrums. We'll just lean in like that. And I think he was quite shocked when I said that. I said, but are you okay? And he said, no, no, that's great. Thank you very much, Jason. I don't really remember that. I think... Um... The team that started had probably said enough to the referee by then, so it was probably, we'll, we'll leave the ref alone and like Jace to come on and like, look at the experience he had. You know, phenomenal 114 caps, I think, at the time to come on and for the referee to see that experience and probably that reassurance and saying, look, you know what I'm about, you know, I'm not going to cause any problems, it's going to be rock steady, is probably exactly what, exactly what we needed to just try and twist the thinking of the referee back on our side slightly. So, you know, not, not getting a battle with the ref. I think we got in a battle with him. And I think that was, that was our, probably our, our biggest mistake is that we got frustrated and then where we got in a bit of a, you know, sometimes it's not what you say to the ref. Sometimes it can just be the look you give him or, you know, you shake your head as if, you know, you're wrong, I'm right type thing. He's <laughs> like, you know, you can wind them up quite quickly by just your body demeanour and your body language. And we probably got to that stage, I'd have thought, and, and we, we probably frustrated ourselves. But what call has Stephen Larkham called with George Gregan? What is the play? It's a penalty. Flatley can level the scores and force the game into extra time. Martin Johnson is giving Andre Watson, the referee, an absolute gobful. He's had enough. I don't remember the scrum before, but apparently the scrum before went down. But I remember the scrum where he sort of, he called it in quick and I just couldn't get my engagement right. So I literally caught the shoulder of um, Al Baxter on the, way, on the way in. And sometimes you do that and your head slips under and you get the engagement. Sometimes you don't and, and you pop out the top. And, and I think Al Baxter that day, he scrummaged fairly low because, you know, he knew if he got too high, then, then we'd drive through him. Um, so he kept hitting really, really low, and I just missed my timing. You know, you're talking literally inches of just getting it, getting it wrong. If I ducked my head a bit more, I might have engaged. Um, it's as simple as that. And uh, 
bang, it was penalty straight away. And it was just, what was a minute and a bit to go on the clock or something. And I was like, I've just cost England a World Cup. I was just, that's the initial thought was I've just cost England a World Cup. So I was probably in a quite dark place for a minute or two then. And I remember it was a tough one to sort of swallow that one because you were thinking, what, a minute and a bit to go, World Cup's in the bag. You have to do another 20 minutes. 10 minutes each way of extra time and then it would be drop goals. I do remember when we started the extra time, I tried to compare it to something I'd done previously because I'd never been to extra time before, so it wasn't as if I could look back and go, remember when you went to extra time against so-and-so and you got through this? Um, it was like, right, what do I compare this to? It's 20 minutes. So I thought, right, what takes 20 minutes? Well, we do these 10 100s and then six 200s or something like that we used to do on the, on the pre-season training. And I just thought, well, that's all it is, 10 100s. 20 minutes done and that's how I tried to compare it because I had nothing else tangible to compare it to so that was me thinking I was like well if you can do that you can do this and um and that's what sort of got me through Australia come back here it is for Johnny has he done it he sure has heartbreaker for the Wallabies seconds remaining and that surely is the stairway to rugby heaven Sen for England. Sensational. Johnny Wilkinson off his right foot, his unfavoured right foot, three points. Woodward thinks he's got it. Look at Wilkinson, his composure. He knew it as he hit it. Woodman takes it. Time almost up. Seconds remaining. No hands, no hands. The player of the tournament, Johnny Wilkinson, has snatched it away from the Wallabies. Is this it? And England has joined Sir Alf Ramsey's Immortals of 1966. Trevor Woodman is on the 10, the ball gets kicked up, and he gets off, he gets off the floor to catch the ball, secures the ball, which, you know, was massive because the, 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 the pressure's on getting that ball. It's one of those things, it's like, especially like now that, that I'm coaching, like, you know, you suddenly think, well, what's a team going to do? They're going to kick, they're going to kick short. They're not going to kick a orthodox sort of, um, restart. Um, so I, I thought, well, I'll just go and stand right in front of the kicker. Not to catch it, it was just like, they're obviously going to kick it. If there's any tap downs or anything, if they catch, then at least I'm in position to sort of, you know, help Mudos, who was, who was in that position to, to catch it. And, you know, I'm supposed to be with John on the, on the right hand side, but um, you just think, we're well, not going to kick there, they're going to kick right down the middle because that's the easiest way to get it back. And I ended up catching it and it's, Clive still loses his rag over that restart, really, but it's one of those things is sometimes you've got to think outside the box, haven't you? And, and that was my thing. Well, they're going to kick short. I'll just be in, tidy up any loose ends, but I ended up having to catch it. But um, I think that's the only restart I've ever caught in my whole rugby playing career was, was in that moment. So luckily I caught it. And England has joined Sir Alf Ramsey's Immortals of 1966. A dramatic, heart-stopping victory for England in extra time. And it was Johnny, 2017, the drop goal to sink the defending champions. I've always said it's relief. And I suppose more relief that, that the, job, you know, the job was done. Um, you know, we set out to, to win it um, and we achieved it. But more relief in that, um, that I made it.
that my goal four years previous was to get to that get to that squad and be part of that World Cup. And I suppose more than anything, it was it was relief that that I achieved my goal because it's not always you can't always sort of achieve everything you want in rugby because of things like injury. And I thought, you know, all the way along those four years with the amount of ups and downs of injuries, it was just pure relief. Um, so, and then from that moment, you just find the closest person to hug, I think, don't you? And, and uh, you know, and then it all takes over, the emotions then probably take over and, uh, and you then sort of join in with um, the crowd and everything else and all the sort of, um, external sort of factors and and you get carried away with it because it wasn't you know it wasn't as if it was 10 minutes ago and we're 15 points 20 points clear and you know the game's won like and you can finish some games you go this game's won 15 minutes ago um you had no idea that about that game could have gone either way so that's why it probably became more relief than than anything else martin johnson looking up at the big screen and savoring this wonderful occasion for English rugby. What I really loved is seeing John sort of walk up onto that little podium and, and lift the World Cup on his own because we all knew it was he was never going to play for England again. And what a you know, to see him go up there and, and lift the World Cup and in his last game was probably something very special. I'm probably getting quite emotional about it now, really, because what I loved about Jono was not just that he was an exceptional um, captain, but there was moments, what makes an exceptional captain is someone that probably puts an arm around you during the week and makes sure you're all right, everything's, you know, good in your world and that, you know, any issues, you know, he, he wants to know about it. So that support during the week is probably something that was always very exceptional about Jono. Like, you knew... You knew Jono wasn't really um, a man of sort of many words. He, he he led by actions. So whether that was actions in the training field or actions on on the on the pitch itself um, during the game, you just knew that you know he was such an iconic leader and, and player. And to see him do that, you just think, well, fair play to you. Ladies and gentlemen, the Prime Minister of Australia, Mr John Howard, will now present the Webb Ellis Cup to Martin Johnson, the captain of England. Well, it's all very awkward. I'd, I'd have loved to have done it as a group, you know, just got everyone there. I thought that at the time, I thought we just all should be on there. It shouldn't just be me, it's wrong. A true gladiator. Now Martin Johnson. And Bill is heading north over the equator. What this is, though, this is symbolic for people watching on TV and in the stadium, more than it actually was for me. Everyone said to me, did you dream of lifting the World Cup? No, I never dreamed of lifting it, because it's irrelevant to me. The actual metal thing you win, is, in a way, is just symbolic, you know. Look out, number 10, Downing Street, Buckingham Palace. England will celebrate long and hard. Do you know, it's one, it's one of those things, is like you, I think you've got to take each stage at a time, and it's like you've got to really let it, try and absorb it. Because once you leave the pitch and the supporters, you're in the tunnel, that moment's gone then. You're never going to get that back. So it's like, well, let's not rush this bit. Let's like soak it up, enjoy it, and take your time over it. And then, but I don't really remember too much of the, 
of the changing room. You know, I know Prince Harry came in and wandered around, but that was, that's all I sort of really remember. And then we're on a bus back into Sydney. Two friends that were with me, they, um, I think, I can't remember, we were down the bottom of Pitt Street or something like that, I think it was. And, and we had to get to this bar and we had no idea where it was. And this police wagon pulled, pulled up and my friend said, look, can you give us a lift to, to so-and-so? And, -so? and uh, they said, look, we're not a taxi service. And it's like, yeah, but this bloke's just won a World Cup. And they were like, oh, how many times do you think we've heard that tonight? And they just said, go on, get the medal out. So I just got the medal out under the shirt and, and showed them. And they are like, get in the back again. So, so they did eventually give us a lift down to, to the nightclub we were going to. They're, the Aussies are a good-humoured bunch. We had a deal with the garage in Gloucester and he said, look, if you don't make the knockout stages, we'll give you an A-class Mercedes. If you, if you make the final and win it, we'll give you a 4x4 Mercedes. So we turned off at Penny Hill and myself, Fix and Steve Thompson all had a brand new Mercedes parked up for us, uh, which was, which was, we were chuckling about really. It was like, so they actually did come through on their, on their word. Um, so that was, that was sort of a nice little perk, but I don't know, I just wanted to get back in my house then. Once that bit was done, I just wanted to get back in my house, get back in my own bed um, and get a bit of normality back because we'd been on the road for, you know, several, you know, two months in Australia and then, um, you know, all the pre-season work before then where we'd come off a tour to New Zealand and Australia, it was like, let's just get a bit of normality back. But, um, but I suppose the things that come off it is, you know, the, um, you know, Gloucester, awarded us sort of like freedom of the city, which I think means I, we can we can graze our sheep if we got any in in uh, in the middle of Gloucester. Um, I don't know when that was last sort of awarded to people, so so that was recognition. But it's things like that that you sort of like get recognised by, you know, Cornwall, where I grew up, the Cornish if you wanted to make a bit of a fuss as well. And you know, if it weren't for the Cornish if you and the people that got you there in the first place, then you'd never be there. So, um, you know, there it was, really nice to be appreciated by, you know, where you grew up as well. It's medal sort of tucked away in a drawer. The kids like to get it out now and again and sort of uh, have a look at it and sort of, you know, they've took it into the primary school and, and sort of showed it to their teachers and their friends. And, you know, it's, it is quite interesting how you think 20 years on as I'm even coaching kids that weren't born when it happened. You know, most of the players in the squad were you know, only six, seven years old probably when, when it happened. So um, it's been that long ago. There's, there's only a certain few that probably remember it. And uh, but yeah, the kids, the kids still love it, and they'll, they probably get it out more than I do, to be honest.